This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're sitting down for a yarn with Tala Luton. Tala runs the livestock side of their family's cropping and livestock operation, just east of Canambal. Tala is a truly inspiring lady on the land. In this episode, you'll hear how Tala has overcome immense adversity, including drought, family issues and fertility challenges, to continue to farm with a bright, positive attitude. You'll also hear how Tala's passion for agriculture and her thirst for knowledge has steered their family business down a path of flexibility and resilience to meet whatever challenge is thrown at them next. Local Land Services District Vet, Jill Kelly, caught up with Tala at the end of a long week for a barbecue and this chat. I'm here today with Tala Luton, who's not only a good friend of mine, but she's a really good farmer as well. She's a bit of a lady on the land. And I'm really interested to hear her story about how she's ended up where she is today, kicking ass <laughs> in a mixed farming operation, the eastern side of Canamble. Tell, tell me about your farm. So we're a mixed farming operation. We have majority cropping with wheat, barley, chickpea, faba beans, canola. That's what we've got in this year anyway. Um, and then we do a bit of summer crop if we can. Now we sort of have trade cattle and trade sheep pretty much. We like to breed a few more ewes, scoping that all out at the moment. And was your heart always in agriculture and the farm? Tell me about growing up. I had a moment there where I was going to become a marine biologist because someone at a roadshow made it sound fantastic. That that was about it. I think growing up, oh, just being on the land, I always had a love for animals. I think they got that one from my mum. Yeah, hanging out with, with dad and and everyone and Pa especially. Probably Pa took me out when we were really young, always in the ute. Um, and yeah, I think that just... And was there ever anybody in your life pulling you back towards more of a sort of an office or a traditional, traditionally female role? I know when I was at school, I wanted to go work on a place and I was told that, you know, that wasn't becoming. And I nearly became a bloody accountant because no one wanted me to be out in a paddock somewhere. <laughs> oh. I'm lucky that didn't happen. And I think everyone who gets their books done every year is pretty lucky that didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> but was there anybody who was trying to steer you into a more ladylike profession? Yeah, there was There was probably a couple. I think the counsellor at school had no idea what to make of me. Like she just had no clue. You know, I sort of said, oh, I'm just going to go to uni and do something that's ag-based. And she's like, but why? What, do you, what job are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to work on a farm and I'm going to grow stuff and feed people. Like that's going to be my job. And she just... I don't think ever got that. And so that was, she would hand me a few pamphlets for different courses and things like that. The only other person, which is kind of funny, was my my nan was very traditional. I do remember turning back up for a Christmas one year, I'd been up north and I had ripped jeans and it was where I'd been riding and my spurs were sitting down in my boots. And, and she said, oh, girls these days, they just they just don't uphold the standards, and I think she was she was one of the yeah traditional ladies that didn't quite like yeah where my career path was going. Oh, they love sticking it in at Christmas lunch, don't they? Oh, they do. They really do. 
And so you went up north and that must have been like just an adventure and was it just as romantic and picturesque as the Outback magazine makes it out to be? (laughs) Oh, yes and no. Yes, uh, yes it is. Like it was the fun, all the fun stuff really happens. Like, you know, you do things that – um, and go to places which are spectacular. Like the people you work with is fantastic. It's it's all the same people with all this doing all the same thing, all like minded and all young. So you you have a great time. Everyone wants to have a laugh and do fun things. And even when you're working, everything's a bit of a joke. And you you know they get carried on when you have a good stock camp and things like that. There definitely is a lot of hard work. Uh, when I started, I went so I was three hours west of Winton on a place called Brighton Downs. And in that year, it was in a pretty severe drought. So they had sort of skeleton staff on. And by my fourth month in there, two of the crew had already left. So it was pretty much myself and the head stockman, the manager, his wife, and the cook. And that was it. Yeah, it was pretty remote, that place. We weren't allowed fresh milk. It had to be all powdered. I do remember that distinctly, considering I'd like grown up with the luxury of having fresh milk and things like that, that I was like, oh, I didn't even know it was powdered. Yeah, it's not much to ask for, but a fresh milk. Yeah, that's right. So that was uh, even things like that, which you just, you know, take for granted. But um, it was really good. I learned a lot there because I actually had to do a lot of things that were outside like those bigger stock camps, like I got to pull balls and and be a part of like fencing. And I remember we were right next to the Diamantina National Park and every, I don't know what it is, must be three to five years, they the stations around the National Park all get together and they muster everything in there. And some of the stuff in there, you know, has missed two musters, and, you know, 15 years, like... So it was the most amazing thing, like the cattle we pulled out of there and the bullocks and how fat they were. And some of them some of them were rogue as you would think they were and then some were just hugely fat and were just wandering along, just happy to be there, like and really spectacular country to see. Oh, that just sounds amazing, like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and something you'll never forget. No, I don't think so. I think, I think it really was and I think it really set me up. With my confidence, actually, like I learned so much. Um, I had like the manager there, Bob, was pretty old school. He taught me how, you know, to cut up a beast, but was meticulous about it and really taught you the details. And because I was probably the only one there, I got all the whys. Why are we doing this? And this is what we're doing. And yeah, and I suppose meeting all the other young people up there at social events too. Like, and I went up there not knowing anyone there. Oh, that was sort of That's what I wanted so to do. so brave too, straight out of school. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. I, I don't, I'm not sure wh- why I had that. That was probably my most rebel streak <laughs> was going somewhere where I knew no one and to make, make some coin. And yeah, I think it did. I think it really built my confidence to where I am now. Yeah. And so you came home with more than just a bit of coin and some memories. You brought home another souvenir, your husband, Ricky. Tell me about meeting him. So meeting him was actually at the Bullier Rodeo in Camp Draft. Sounds romantic. Oh, very. We were all sitting at the bar and the wild horse race came up and he needed some riding boots and so he asked me for my boots. <laughs> so it's quite... What the... a pick-up line. Oh, isn't it? So I went up there in... 2009 and we came back home in 2013. Yeah, we did a, we did a little bit in between, like we, we had a little go at the mines, which lasted like two months. Um, it wasn't for you? No, it wasn't for us. No, not at all. 
So while your teenagerhood and, and your adventures up north was all playing out, there was some stuff happening back at home, wasn't there, with your family? Tell me about that. Yeah, there was a bit. Like it started with Lyndon having cancer. And Lyndon's your brother. You've got two brothers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Lyndon's the youngest brother. He had cancer in his intestine, a lymphoma. That was right when I was doing my HSC actually. So that was pretty intense time, that one. And I remember finishing the HSC, mum being in Sydney and Lyndon being in Sydney for a good couple of months. And I pretty much left Sydney, went back home with dad and just worked flat out. And then I was talking about staying and dad said, no, you need to go. So so I went and left then and sort of Lindo pretty much came, came good in about March, I think it was. So he ended up actually going like, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick him now. He's six foot something built like a, built like a freight train and, you know, He's, yeah, kicking goals. So and he's back really home good. on the farm and runs an ag contracting business as well and is just recently engaged. So it's a, it's a happy ending. That's right, he is. No, he's really kicking goals. You, you really, it's really hard to tell someone that that's what he went through looking at him. So that is really nice. In 2011, Dad got crook. Uh, he also got cancer. They did a biopsy and, yes, yeah, same thing, cancer in the brain. When Dad sort of came out of that, yeah, midway through 2012 by this time, um, he had lost a fair bit of his memories. Um, they were sort of skew whiff. He hadn't lost, um, it's amazing to, like even now, he remembers things that were, you know, 20 years old, but then has a, has a confusion about which paddocks we've got what in and like current memories are quite affected. Gradually, he sort of lost his mobility. So he's pretty steady going now. Um, but yeah, sort of on the phone to him, or nearly every day having a chat about who's where and what's lambing and how the heifers are looking, what's the oats doing. So yeah, it is, he's, we're really lucky. He's in a really positive mindset and takes it in his stride and, you know, is just happy to have a good yarn to anyone who wants to talk to him on the phone and stuff like that. So yeah, he's a great, he's a, a very much as part of the social fabric of Canamble still, isn't he? He's the most social man I know, I think. Yeah, he lo- he loves the blower. He really does. Yeah. A lot of people talk to me how many times they've talked to Jeff. Yeah, no, definitely. And so he's, he's on the other end of the phone and he's sort of providing guidance and stuff, but who's actually out there in the paddock doing the work now? Uh, well, I guess it's pretty much me and Lindo now. When I moved home in 13, Ricky came back and worked on the farm with us and then we sort of dived into some rougher years, like the end of 13 was a bit of a rough year and then 14 wasn't fabulous. In terms of weather and, and yeah. dry times. When yeah. seasons, yeah. They, they, well, we thought they were a bit rougher. We, we were yet to learn. And then we hit yeah. 17, 18, 19. Exactly. That sort of, we started and then Lindo pretty much finished his HSC. There's no doubt in my mind that from the day Lyndon saw a tractor that he was going to drive tractors. He has had that in his mind yeah, since he was walking. So he was definitely coming back on the farm and I was really lucky that I got to go away and, and get that outside experience, whereas Lyndon sort of came straight out of school. But, yeah, pretty much I run the stock side of things. Lyndon sort of does machinery maintenance and then through, like, all our management decisions, we sort of make pretty much together. We talk through our crop rotations and all that sort of stuff. Finances is sort of, I'm sort of taking over that a fair bit more. And then mum helps out in the bookwork and mum's pretty handy. She'll jump on a header or a spray rig if we need her or anything like that. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty good. We're, we're a lucky team. And then Nathaniel, the middle son, is down studying vet in Wagga. So, yeah, yeah he likes to come home and help out. But, yeah, that's no, good. 
And so do you think that the chain of events with your dad getting sick and things led to you coming home or do you think you always would have ended up at home and as integrally involved in the place as what you have been? That's an interesting one. We did, we actually did come home in 2010, which was a really wet year. And we got pretty much got stuck in the house we were at, had two creeks either side, and we got stuck in it for months and months. So it wasn't a great trial run. Back then, we actually, I actually clashed a lot with dad. Like I, I, I'm definitely his daughter in that I have all his stubbornness. So there was lots of things where I was, you know, I came back from up north and had all these great ideas of what we should do with the cattle and how we should wean like this and we should do these things. And, and I remember dad think like he must have just thought, oh my goodness, she's just got all these ideas. And anyway, so it's an interesting one. I think, yes, in the long run, that would be my, that was my dream to come home and be a part of it all. And when I look back on that time, I think maybe that was just me being full of, you know, probably a bit of arrogance <laughs> and, and just pushing dad too hard. When we were up north, we were in a quite a not a bad position. We were in a good station. Ricky was working as head stockman. Like we were on a pretty good wicket. Both of us really enjoyed our jobs. We really loved the lifestyle. We have lots of good friends who are still good friends up there. And it was fabulous. It really is. It's addictive and it gets in your blood up there. But at the same time, both of us really wanted to work towards ourselves running something, ourselves looking at something and being like, well, we've weighed up all the options and this is going to be the best decision, not having something handed down going, well, why aren't they looking at this or why aren't they caring about this? So I think in the long run, yes, this is, this is where I would have ended up. Yep. Yeah, it, it suits you. Yeah. Back to water, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> and so tell me what a day in the life of Tala looks like. What sort of stuff do you get up to? Well, this week is a pretty good example. So we've got um, a fair bit of stock on crop. So it's a fair bit of checking troughs and things like that. We've got some lambs coming up to, we'd like to sell them as suckers. So we put them through the yards the other day and put them over the scales. Um, so that was working out who was going and had, we've got 400 booked in with TFI that made weight and then we've sort of got the rest leftovers that we're probably going to lock in for later on in the year. Still got plenty of crop which is fantastic and then same thing with our trade heifers sort of checking them out seeing what weights they are they'll be going through the yards in the next couple of months and things like that. We've got some ewes that have just finished lambing that are about to be um, marked so it's sort of just keeping an eye on all those things all the general stuff I suppose the maintenance and things like I do a lot of the fences and like fun things like water and fixing up broken pipes which is never anyone's favorite job just helping out like linen does a lot of takes over a lot of our spraying for us so that's good because that's my probably my least favorite job like the header like the sewing rig but not a fan of the spray rig so it is good and so I sort of I sort of tag in and help out with that like just cutting chemical around and stuff for that so that sounds like you're working perfectly you and Lyndon you know you've fit in he does the jobs you don't like and vice versa kind of yeah like I love to sit behind the mower stock whereas Lyndon does yeah not I know like I've turned up out there to look at stock sometimes and Lyndon looks highly unimpressed exactly. to be there yeah yeah so and and it's it is good like we I sort of call him up when I need him and he calls me up when he needs me so it works good and when we come like we do have a fair like our majority of our business is is cropping, although we have drastically increased our numbers in our trading stock, like sowing and harvest is is all hands on deck for the crops. So it's pretty good. I, I definitely enjoy that part. I love getting on the sewing rig and just driving through and just being like, 
oh, you know, in a couple of days, I'll get to watch this come out of the ground. There's yeah, nothing quite like it's that. It's addictive, isn't it? Watching it is. stuff grow. Yeah. 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 Now, I wish I didn't have to ask you this question, but I know being a female in a male dominated industry that, you know, occasionally I have the raised eyebrows and the crap for, you know, being a female. How do you deal with it? Do, do you get funny looks or funny comments when you say going to get a tyre fixed off a tractor or you're going to buy spare parts for something or you ring up to buy a mob of stock or something? Do people treat you differently, do you think, because you're a chick? Occasionally. I have had it, for sure. I think Canam was used to me now. They, I think people are more surprised to see me in good clothes than they are because they're also used to seeing me in work clothes. But I have definitely have it at a few field days and things like that. Most of those people I can pick up what's going on pretty quickly and I'll just move off because you know that's their business and that's how they that's how they are I'm not going to change that but then I have had some old fellows who have been fantastic that have actually gone as soon as I've sort of started speak they've asked a question to gauge what's going on and you sort of answer their question and as soon as they know that you're serious about they can tell that it's your passion then they're like an open book and you can have a really good yarn to them we are newer to sheep than we we had uh breeder cows before the drought for 17 18 19 drought and we actually sold them all in the drought and have gone heavily into sheep we were doing a dabbling I would like to say before and now we're much more heavily into that I think we've got 2,000 ewes on at the moment so it's quite a swing I'm still grasping all of that information. Like there's lots of people to ask and, and that's really dad, – dad can't remember a lot of things, so I need to be able to ask people and get advice pretty much from all outside sources. So I went to buy some rams and the fellow there is quite an older fellow, very passionate about what he does. And I went there with Ricky and Ricky's a stock agent, so he started talking to Ricky and, and like I was – just there to come for the drive and I sort of started asking a few questions and as soon as he picked up that oh no she, you were the farmer yeah and, and Ricky was the husband slash agent yeah then he then he was like oh right and he could he could sense it and then he just had then then he we just you know had this great conversation and you know I got so much out of that but yeah like it's it's like two opposite ends of the stick it's like people who don't even acknowledge what gender you are and literally just will, if you've got the passion, I'll give you what, any advice you want. And then there's uh, the others. And I suppose I don't acknowledge many of them. So I don't know if, how many exist because I just leave them there and go and talk to the person who wants to talk to me. So yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of challenges, season, drought, finances, you know, the day-to-day gruel of, of what we do. Yep. But as a female, is there any additional challenges that you face every day? There's a couple. I suppose one thing at the moment that we're probably facing is a few fertility issues. And I suppose it's something I never acknowledged at the start at all. Just just thought, you know, it'll be right. We'll have kids and we'll have plenty of them so they can help do jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Workforce. Just just like we were when we were kids. That was sort of my, you know, the plan. And Ricky and I met pretty young. So actually I just was like, yep, it'll just happen when we want it to. And I suppose that's one of the challenges that I see, you know, having appointments all the time or doing the the full IVF cycle where you, you know, needling yourself and different things like that. They're, they're challenges that are pretty tough. And I think it's worth people being able to see that and understand that and it being out in the public so that people go, it's out there, people are dealing with it. And it's okay if you need to have a yarn about it or you see someone else doing it. Like 
and and you know there's all different advice on you know the just go on a holiday or just relax <laughs> and things like that and and in my job I, I love my job and I don't just want to quit so I I am working it in and there's you know days when I I pull back a bit and I'm not doing things or and our jobs are very interesting one like the amount of chemicals we use and or what those all those chemicals do and even the things like working with animals that you don't realize that you can catch and be affected by you you you, don't, you sort of and blokes probably don't worry about but no that's right yeah. they don't and I and I feel sometimes that girls might know enough about that and I can definitely tell you when I ask questions of the specialist about I'm working on the farm and I occasionally pull a lamb or I pull a calf is that okay is is that going to be okay they've got no answers for me and I do sometimes feel like geez I wish I need to write a book on all these things if someone's going through fertility on a farm that they should yeah keep track of but yeah that that would be one of the bigger challenges anyway it's a massive challenge. So, I mean, first thing I can think of is logistically, like you're about 700 k's from Sydney, which was what, probably where your doctors are. Yeah. Plus then, yeah, the everyday things that you have to do, which are not like just going to work in an office in Sydney, you have to handle chemicals and like all those things you just talked about. Plus then just the emotional toll of it, especially when you've got other things compounded on it, like drought, all those sorts of other things. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think 2019, they definitely got to a point where you were sort of battling on one side with the drought and that sort of stuff going on. And then on the other side, it's like living two lives a little bit, you know, you're living your normal life and you're going to work and you're doing your work. And then on the other side, you're like, got this side where you're booking appointments and you're talking to this person, you're trying to get advice off this person, you're getting this test done. And then you've got to try and fit them into each other. And I'm sure for all those other women going through fertility things in other jobs, it's very similar. But it's quite hard when, you know, when the doctor says, you know, okay, just take it easy or, you know, just just go steady or, or relax, it'll happen. And you're like, oh, I've got to go and mark a thousand lambs. Yeah. Like, how and am I going to do that? Harvest is coming up. That's right. And you've got all these, you know, big jobs. And so, and stubborn, thank you, Dad, <laughs> stubborn streak says, I want to be there and I want to do that because I actually put all my heart into this. So it's quite... It's quite conflicting, yeah, and, and there is, you, there's probably parts where you just have to go, yep, okay, I need a break now, yep, I'll need a break from the farm or I need a break from the treatments. I'm not very good at that, but I'm learning to get better at that, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us today. It's a pretty brave topic to talk about, but maybe it'll help others by, you know, by speaking about it. Yeah, I guess, and I guess that's it. I think if, if, if you can be a bit open, if I had someone to ask these questions, that would have been great, I think. So if, if it helps one other person or one other person wants to ask me something, I'm quite happy to have a yarn about it. So, mm. yeah. I went on holidays in Broome last year and I got talking to this older couple and they said to me, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm a vet at Canamble. I do sheep and cattle. And the, the older woman said to me, but dear, do they listen to you? You're a woman. I was horrified. I got mm. up and moved tables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and that's and that's it, I think. Even Dad, actually, I remember a moment I came back from the first year away up north and we were at the footy in town and we were talking to someone. Someone had walked up and they said, oh, how are you going, Jeff? And how are the kids? And he said, yeah, no, good, good. And he said, how are the boys going? Like, you know, what, what are they going to do when they finish school? As I was sort of already out of school. So they were talking about that. And he said, no, well, I think De- Lyndon's definitely, he's definitely keen on the farming and he'll be on the farm. And Nat, oh, not quite sure, but he, he probably be involved in sort of somewhere agricultural animals or something like that. But yeah, no, the boys love the farm. And I remember in that moment going, 
hello, yeah. I'm just here. And I remember pulling Dad up afterwards and saying, Dad, how come you never mention me? I really want to come back on the farm. This is after being away for the year and now working out that's what I wanted to do for my life. And I said, what, what about me? Why don't you mention me when, you know, you talk about taking over the farm? And he goes, oh, I never really thought about it. The honesty in his face was he'd actually never thought about it. Yeah, it's a mind shift thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it really is. And I, and I can gather that that Nanny would probably, like, in that very traditional family, may have been that just pushed upon Dad and him never really linking it together. But I do remember, and from then, from that day forth, to Dad's credit, every time someone would ask, he'd be like, all the kids are going to come back on the farm. Yeah, great. Yeah. So it is funny how it was set there by someone way back in Dad's mind and then it took someone to go, hey, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully girls like you are changing that for future generations as well. Hopefully. I hope so. Yeah. I know one thing that you do really well is how you've really embraced social media and you've got really great Instagram page, Lady on the Land. Yep, yep. Um, why do you feel it's important to share your story via social media? I think it started with having that link, seeing people discuss it in the media and things like that about, you know, where their food comes from. And actually part of it is going to boarding school and meeting a lot of girls actually from the city. I remember having one girl out, it was like a new 10, and she came out, came, was we were driving in the driveway and she looked at our house and went, oh my gosh, is that your house? And I was like, yep, it, it is. And she's like, you've got power and a TV. That's what she said. And I, it blew me away. And there's actually quite a few of us in the car and the other, some of the other girls were boarders and we all just were gobsmacked. We were like, but how do you think we live? Like, you know, and it just... It, that, no concept. No concept. No concept. A brainy girl, very intelligent on the books. Mm. But, yeah, lacked a little there to think about that one. But so I suppose that was a big part of it. And even now, like some friends who now may have been regional girls but all work in the city and stuff like that. All those girls, whenever, you know, you would say what's happening, they would all be quite interested and want to know what's going on and, oh, well, what does that mean and questions. So I think that sort of kicked it a little bit to be like, well, this is what goes on. This is real life. This is what I'm doing with my day. So here it is. Sometimes it can be the highlight reel, like they say, and, and I suppose I've Mine are definitely not taken with a real camera. Well, I admire those people that have the gorgeous, you know, the gorgeous pictures. The lighting and the... Oh, yeah, it's fabulous. Mine are just the iPhone and I'm like, oh, quick, we're walking and I've got to remember to, you know, put some photos, like share this or I'll, I will or I'll have a moment and I'll be behind, like the other day I was behind a mob of ewes and lambs walking them in and we were along the creek and it was green and like they were all like just walking away beautifully and the day was spectacular and I was like... I have to capture this because this is just one of those moments where you look back in your life and you go, this was fabulous. Like these ewes outperform themselves. These lambs are great. The day is beautiful. I've got my dog with me and I'm cruising along in the motorbike. It is amazing. I have to share it. Hopefully one day my children will look back and go, oh, mum, look, you know, you were doing all this great stuff. That's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. And how special just to stop for a minute and appreciate what's around you. I think it'd be easy in it, say, particularly in a drought or in a not so much nice time to, you know, just think, oh, another day, another dreary mob of sheep, whatever it might be. But to yeah. look on the bright side and stop and savour those moments. Yeah, and it is. And you, I think you have to do, you, it, it takes a bit of work. Like there's definitely been times when you you don't have that and it is really hard. And 
like I work by myself most of the time. So I, and I'm, I'm a teamwork person, so that's sometimes a bit hard. I have a bit of a under the dogs occasionally. <laughs> they might think I'm a bit mad. Yeah, I think you do have to stop and acknowledge those moments like and, and sort of breathe them in and go, well, look at this or look how far we've come or, wow, this might not be perfect. Like at this stage, this is not perfect, but in the long run, this is going to be helping to get where I want to go and to where I want to see this. I always admire your pictures too because even though you're, you're usually dirty and you've got your work clothes on, there's usually a little bit of something nice there. You've got a nice scarf or you've got your nails painted or you've got a pair of earrings. Have you got any fashion tips for all the other budding young farmers out there? One would be wear sunscreen from the day dot. That's really important. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah, yeah. No, Wish I'd done it years ago. Yeah, I think I started very much like sleeves rolled up and I never like right in the first year I didn't wear scarves. I think I started wearing them because of the dust, actually, but then I'm so lucky that I actually got onto them quite early because... So these are neck scarves. Neck scarves, yes, protect sorry. protect your decolletage. Decolletage. And that's it. But they also um, end up being dust protectors, very handy for the last couple of years. They'll also come in handy when you need to have a wash or in the ball drain or in a dam or something like that. And then also if you need to tie something up and you've used your belt already, they actually come <laughs> in handy for that too. If there's another bit of sheep that needs... Yeah, pretty much, yeah. ...needs immobilising. Yeah, exactly. I really admire what you guys have been doing. Like your approach to drought, you made the big decision to sell those beautiful breeding cows and then you've made yourselves really flexible. You've gone into sheep and you've learnt as much as you can, you know, in the sheep game in a short period of time. How have you done that? How have you had the mindset to be that flexible and who have you learnt from? Who have you surrounded yourself with? How have you done that? Definitely the training is a bit of everything and the advice is a bit of everything, a bit of everyone and everything and as much as I can get hold of and absorb. I'm quite a fan of if you don't know it, you need to go and know it. For someone who says she's not academic, (laughs) the amount of information that you absorb is incredible. It must be the passion that that drives it. I think so. I definitely think that's what it is. You you know, if you really love it, you really you really get involved in it. So yeah, no, that's definitely been a big part of it. I think right back at the start with the cows, it was definitely hard, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, they were beautiful big Angus cows and dad and mum had put a lot of work into breeding those cows. I think I just was watching people around us and talking to a few people and working out, you know, was we'd already started feeding those cows in seventeen and and I was just thinking, this, this is, this is hard, and this, this doesn't seem like we're making any gains. It just feels like we're going backwards. We're just throwing off the hay, and they're not even doing that well. Like, there's more to this, or we can do this better. And then, yeah, we we dabbled in the sheep. We sort of had a small mob on the side all the time. And in seventeen, we sort of were like, oh, these guys are kicking goals. These guys are making this easy. And they're going to produce, they're going to have wool, they're still going to have their lambs. And then we've got a ewe to sell if we need to sell her as well. I was like, these guys are doers. So we sort of ramped that up a bit, sold a few extra cows. And then probably I think it was must have been midway 18, we had the best mob of cows in one paddock and the rest in three mobs of 50. And the top mob of 50, I said, well, these are sort of the best ones that we've got left. And if we sell them we're not keeping any more, like they're all gone. Like that, that'll be it because they're the best. So we ended up selling them and so the rest went and we ended up trading into Scandin lamb ewes. Our first mob landed in them at the start of 2018 with hopeful 
aspirations. Uh, it might rain. Yeah, pretty much. That that you know, it might rain, but at the same time, we were like, well, you know, we we can probably feed these if we have to. So mm. you know, we'll, we'll we can make it work with these. And so we did. And like you know, I'm sure like many that year, our lambing percentage wasn't awesome. But we actually got good lambs and we got good wool and we ended up building a feed lot for the lambs, a drought lot or whatever you want to call it, and put through a couple of mobs and actually ended up buying in mobs to trade through there because we, we, had, we had grain. So that worked really good and we did a few different trials. On We bought a mob of Scandin lamb to Merino lambs. So we had Merino lambs going through the feed lot next to crossbred lambs going through the feed lot and that was really fascinating. I remember at the time... We were like, well, the you know the merinos aren't going to do very well when they were actually booked in on the same day, same kill, different sheets. And it turned out on whatever that was, whatever that month was, the skin value was so high for the merinos that they came out exactly the same. I remember thinking that I was like, oh, log that away. That's really important to note that you never know, you know, what might change and you know what opportunities are there that you don't think and see. So yeah. Yeah, if you think outside the square, there might be just something there that you can value out and, yeah, and make a buck out of. Exactly. And I think that's sort of, we've looked at a lot of things through the business and, and gone, oh, well, we need to be adaptable. We need to be flexible here. You know, we've sort of made some bigger changes that look really big and really drastic at times, but we think we've crunched some numbers and from advice and things like that, that in the, in the long run, actually, it will be better for us. It will work out better for us. It will be better on labour. It will be more effective, more time-friendly and things like that. So I suppose that's what it comes down to, going through each of the scenarios. I'm a bit of a planner. So I go, I have sort of A, B, C, Z a plan. <laughs> that's probably a good trait for a farmer, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes. So I do get told I'm a little bit a stickler sometimes on, on the details. More of those dad's traits, do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely dad's traits on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, that, that happens a bit. So I think that definitely helps. Yeah. It's rained and so what, what's the plan now? Are you aiming to get back into cows or are you just going to remain flexible? What's the plan? I think flexible is as our goal. We've got heifers on at the moment. We've got um, 400 head of cattle on crop um, at the moment and right back at the start we discussed you know, our options with them and I think the options are still wide open. I think that's sort of how we're playing it a bit now. We can join them. Obviously heifers don't get as much as, as steers do but at the time, they were a pretty good price. Compared to everything else, they were quite good. And yes, it does help having Ricky as a bit of inside knowledge occasionally. So there was the option to join them, the option to sell them as or a fetus heifer. So you sort of left yourself in the game with both those deals, depending on what the year did. Like if the year had cut out, well, you're not going to be joining them. But if the year continues on and people are really looking to restock, they actually might want that he- empty heifer or they might want it full of calf. You just, you've got to gauge yeah, those things options. a bit. Yeah, that's mm. right. Not right back into cattle, probably. Um, probably still keep trading and put them on crop. We seem to have pretty good success with that. Um, seems to be working for us. The sheep, we'll cut down some of those ewes, I think, and just keep a quite a small little mob of breeders. They're all older ewes, so they will get to the point where we'll probably... We'll have to replace them, but we've always looked at all the ewes as tradable. Um, it's just how we do that. And at the moment, a few months ago, even even still now, ewes are fetching really great prices. Um, Scanning lamb, young ones. So we've got some 
merino ewe lambs hitting the ground. So we either might save them for ourselves or they might be sold in market. So same thing, we just sort of want to have all those options open, each of those enterprises, so we can go which way. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Just one last question. If you had advice for your younger self or for another girl or young lady who wanted to pursue a career in agriculture, what have you got any advice for them? I'd say stick your hand up. I'd say you can do it and don't be so hard on yourself. I think we have a bit of a knack for, for holding ourselves back and saying, oh, we can't do that and we second guess ourselves. But really, like the opportunities are out there and just go for them. Put your hand up and say, no, I can do it. I might do it a little differently. Like, you know, I might not have all the muscle that my brother has, but I would do it differently and I will get the job done. Just That's very smart. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, girls, stick your hand up. Go for it. It is a really good life and I do love it. I love being up to get get up in the morning and head out and check sheep and cattle this. I, I don't know why. I don't know why everyone why doesn't want to be a farmer. I do in the drought. I do in the drought, actually. But when the, on the good days, when you get to go out there and see those sheep and cattle and they're playing around in the oats and jumping around the car and everything's ha- fat and happy and you get to work outside, like, it's just spectacular. So, yeah, that'd be my advice. <laughs> That's great advice. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm sure all of our podcast listeners will be out looking your Instagram account up now to follow <laughs> your ongoing adventures on the land. Yes. Thanks very much, Tal. It's been great to talk to you today. Thanks very much, Jill. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.